I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. This week on Routine Checkup, we speak with Alexandra Brzezowski, a research associate at Michigan State University, all about asexuality. Okay, we just actually, it was just a few days ago, we were recording with uh, a guest. I don't think the episode has come out yet, Um, but our guest was talking about um, how he identifies as demisexual, and he referred to that being on the asexual spectrum. He thought he was asexual. Right. Yes. Um, uh, And I actually, I didn't realize that demisexuality was like, under the umbrella of asexuality. That was, that was like new to me. I didn't realize that. And it made me, it was making me think about how like, um, I don't think I know a whole lot about asexuality. And I've had a couple of friends who have, I've spoken to who've like uh, expressed that they feel like they identify as asexual, but they also feel like they can't quite tell because they're not entirely sure you know, it, it feels like there's not a lot of like literature or like stuff out there to like dive into the the nitty gritty of asexuality. And so it made me think about how um, this would be a really interesting topic to kind of like dive into to educate ourselves and to potentially educate our listeners who might also be in that camp of like, I man, you know what? I don't know a whole lot about mm-hmm. asexuality yeah. or how it works. Yeah, I think it's yeah. I mean, obviously, we're we're here with Alexandra. We're going to be speaking about that, but. It's some. It's something that. It's something that. It's a term that I under, that I know of, but really, know nothing about. Yeah, I probably have like a broad stroke sentence that I could describe. That's most likely horribly insufficient. <laughs> well, uh, Alexandra is a research associate at Michigan State University, and I came across uh, a study that she co-authored um, that was really interesting, and it had to do with asexuality, and so. Um, we are really happy to have you here today, Alexander, to kind of give a, educate a couple of guys who don't know much about much uh, about uh, the world of asexuality. So first of all, thank you for joining us. And uh, why not give yourself a, a quick little introduction? Uh, who is who is Alexandra? Sure. Um, thank you for having me. And I'm glad we finally got this scheduled. Um, yeah. So um, as you said, I um, went to Michigan State graduated in 2019 um but I was a psychology major and so part of that for like honors college requirements we had to do a thesis and so my undergrad senior thesis was on asexuals and romantic relationships Mm. and so um did that did like some poster presentations around that at the time um and then a couple years later um got back in touch with the faculty I worked with on that 
And um, they were like, you know, like, we should publish this. Like, obviously, there's not a lot of research in that area, um, kind of like referencing what you guys were saying. So, um, you know, then that's the study you found and that I wrote the conversation article about. So um, that's kind of what we did. We did there. So it was just an extension of everything I did as an undergrad, basically. And um, how I came across the idea anyhow is I'm also on the asexual spectrum. Um, Mm. So it's a personal project for me. And yeah, so that's kind of how all of that came to be and um, got published last year. And we're working on something else now, too. So um, we're going to keep it going. Sweet. Uh, Well, the the name of the article or sorry, the name of the the um, the research uh, report uh, is a test of the investment model among asexual individuals, the moderating uh, the moderating role of attachment orientation, um, and uh, you know m- maybe uh, maybe I'll hold off on this right now, but I would eventually love to dive into like what is the investment model because I I think it's mm. really fascinating. Um, but before we get into that, um, as someone who identifies as asexual or on the asexual spectrum, um, what does that mean to you? And also like. When we say asexual spectrum, what does that spectrum look like? Again, when we found out that our friend Glenn was demisexual and, and you know, he, he was saying that demisexual falls under that umbrella, the asexual spectrum, mm. like that, that was kind of an eye opener for me where I went, oh, wow, I didn't never thought about it that way. And so what like what is that spectrum? What does that spectrum look like? Yeah, so I think a lot of people um, feel that way. They don't necessarily know about all of the spectrum identities that are out there, um, which is part of what I think can make it confusing for, Mm -hmm. um, like you mentioned, you've had friends who are like, I think I might be asexual, but I don't really know. And um, some of that, I think, is just the lack of knowledge around just the whole group, Um, because I kind of went through that myself where I was like, know what i'm feeling and then just kind of some social media research i was like this is exactly it actually Mm. (laughs) so um the spectrum itself is pretty wide and um there's a lot of sub labels as a part of that too many for me to even list here but like demisexual is one of those for instance underneath that kind of asexual umbrella um i myself usually say gray asexual which is just kind of meant to be like the gray area that's kind of an umbrella within an umbrella but basically like <laughs> fluctuating sexual attraction um so or just kind of what i will say for myself is like not fully asexual i think people think that asexual people just like zero sexual attraction like that's it uh, but there's a lot of gray area there as well so um i tend to use that um and then demisexual is obviously people who form um sexual attraction after an emotional bond forms mm-hmm. there's also the opposite like for asexual so people who lose sexual attraction um the closer they get to somebody there's a lot of heterogeneity oh. in the area of the spectrum sorry <laughs> oh, cat. that's okay you've got your cat we've got our resident dog on the table that's right here. that's right I, I, i'm curious <laughs> yeah. alexander just to just to dig into that a little bit more like um because like i i mean my perception of asexuality before having this conversation before talking to Glenn was like, Oh, this means that the person is not attracted to, um, either sex. And I I'm understanding now that the spectrum can be really wide and that there's a lot of nuance within that. Can you, can you give us an idea of like sort of how wide it's cast? So like what would be one of 
Can you give like an example of what would be more on like the fringe of the spectrum? Yeah, I think, um, you know, some of the ones like demisexual and gray sexual are a bit more common, I would say. Um, but there are definitely, I would say there are like hundreds of sub-label identities. Because um, one of the big things that I wanted to focus on when I did, um, you know, when I collected all that data for my thesis was the spectrum itself, because what you'll also find is the asexuality research that is out there is usually just focused on people who are just like totally asexual. Like Ooh. they just have like lack of sexual attraction, like forever, that's it. Um, which is like one step and one piece to the puzzle, but it definitely doesn't encompass everyone. So you have to think about, obviously, like if you're filling out those kind of surveys and it's like forced choice stuff where it's like, well, do I really put asexual if I have felt sexual attraction before? Like maybe I should put heterosexual instead. So there's like so much heterogeneity there. And that's why I really wanted to focus on letting people self-identify in my own study, mm. just because I feel like we're missing so many people by just mm. like confiding it to like just totally asexual and mm. so i think some of the labels like for asexual for instance like i was talking about that is a little more like on um on the fringe of asexuality and maybe a little less common that people don't always hear about um there's even people who identify as more like they just want to like think about things or um are willing to you know like participate in sexual activity like by themselves as opposed to like with other people they will like think about it but they never want that attraction reciprocated so there's mm. a lot of different um areas of the spectrum that i think um most people don't know about and then that are usually missed in um from a research perspective right i oh this i i mean i I don't I don't even know like where to start with this but but I just had this like I just had this random thought of like could this be considered asexual so you know one of the things that I heard you say that I thought was really interesting was um some people in the a spectrum uh, the asexual spectrum um starting to lose a sexual attraction after they develop like a uh, a romantic connection with someone that I mean again never like wow never thought of that um could there would would this be considered a, a part of the asexual spectrum, or would this be considered something else entirely? But someone who who only engage who has zero um, uh, like I inclination to develop a romantic relationship and only engage in sexual activity with people that they don't have, or is that like outside of asexuality? Yeah. So um, the other thing too that kind of goes into my study a little bit is. Not all asexuals are aromantic. Uh, obviously, some are. Others are not. Um, so there are definitely people who um, are on the aromantic spectrum, if you will, uh, who might engage in sexual activities. Those things are definitely not, um, you know, they don't have to be the same thing. A lot of people think mm. that they are like, you're not like you're not interested in both. Um, but a lot of asexuals, um, and I would assume aromantic people as well, separate those feelings out between like the romantic and sexual attraction to things. Mm. So um, definitely there can be aromantic people who like don't want a relationship, but will engage in sexual activity. And then, um, you know, the opposite is true too. Right. Okay. Okay. Can, can we go into like the details of like the split attraction model of like sexuality versus romance? Just, just for clarity. Yeah, so the split attraction model um, is a pretty big thing among the community and, um, you know, something that I hope will just continue to be, like, researched and addressed because 
obviously, like I say, for most people, like they are the same thing. Like chances are, like if you're straight, like you would date someone of the opposite sex and you would also be sexually interested in them and like, great, life is easy. <laughs> um, but for a lot of asexual people, that's not what happens. Like you could be, um, you could have romantic feelings. Like for instance, I'm a hetero romantic asexual. So like I do have romantic feelings. I just uh, have that fluctuating like sexual attraction piece. And so that can complicate things obviously because a lot of people do think they need to be the same or relate to each other when they don't. Um, so a lot of asexuals do um, kind of prescribe to that model and will sometimes identify more with like their romantic label because it's like something they have versus a lack of something, Right. which is kind of where I was going for with, um, you know, some surveys like missed things. Like, for instance, some people might say that, you know, they're bisexual just because like that seems like a more fitting option because they're biromantic as opposed to putting like asexual. So um, they're both definitely separate pieces and very important like in the puzzle of asexuality in particular to look at those things in a separate way because asexuals definitely look at them in a separate way for the most mm -hmm. part mm -hmm. how, how much of that is determined by like nature versus nurture because like as somebody who who um has spent quite a bit of time in therapy myself i, I start to like uncover these things about why i sort of am the way I am in my present life based on past experiences. Um, but I'm curious in terms of like uh, your sexuality and in terms of your romantic interests, how much of that is shaped by the past versus like what you were sort of born into? Yeah. Um, based on like the current research, at least that I sexually, I don't think I have like a good answer for you uh, just because there um, isn't so much in that area. Uh, of course, though, I think, um, you know, most of us have the understanding at this point that like our sexual orientation is innate and not like a choice, like some um, groups who want to stigmatize it might make yeah. it seem. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I think our experiences can, um, you know, in relationships could definitely shape that too. And I think those can at least lead one in maybe a direction where they, um, you know, might grow to find a label that they didn't know of otherwise just because it kind of takes that life experience to figure it out when you're not really sure. Um, kind of like we talked about, even with some of your friends, like feeling like you're not really sure where you fall in it. And like, I think some of that comes from more experience to like the nurture side of it of, you know, you've maybe had these relationship experiences and thought to yourself like, Oh, I need to, you know, maybe research that more, figure it out or learn something about this community. So. How do you, how do uh, I, in your in your research and 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 for you as well, um, how do you like? What are the sort of like um, signals when you are developing a relationship? Like, what are the the signals to to you that signal um, that signal romance? And I'm saying this from the perspective of because because you're saying that it's not always accompanied by. Um, by sexual, by, by feelings of, of wanting to be sexually intimate with somebody. And I say that because, because when I think about how would I perceive that signal, I like, I can't, I can't tease apart like where sexuality and romance one ends and the other begins. Like they're, they're, they're so weaved, they're so weaved together that those signals, when I try to think about it, they seem like one and the same to me. So if you're not feeling, um, a sexual attraction, what is, 
what are those signals that you are that you are seeing and feeling and sort of like I guess looking for when a, when a relationship is developing? Yeah, I think um, you know in the in the sort of splitting those things apart that a lot of aces do. Um, it's kind of it's more just like those other aspects of like non sexual intimacy that I think can be considered romantic. Like, which doesn't even always have to be physical stuff, like holding hands or something, but just like that level of spending time with someone, um, like getting to know someone on a deeper level, um, you know, that like emotional connection um, and intimacy. So there's a lot of different forms that intimacy can take, I think. And so I think some of that can be like parsed out. You could have those kind of connections with someone, spend that level of time with someone, live with somebody, like share your life together without having sexual interaction um which yeah a lot of people like don't necessarily think about because they are usually so tied together just mm-hmm. like in general in society i mean we see it all the time so um you know it's definitely different um i would say for the asexual community but it definitely doesn't make i think that can lead to like some distress often of you know you feel like your relationships aren't as valid or meaningful or you know it's not the same as everybody else but i definitely think um, you know, asexuals can definitely still experience love mm-hmm. if they, you know, so choose to. Mm-hmm. I, can you like, can you give us a little bit of an example of, of what kind of uh, like stigma and, 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 and discrimination that, that surrounds asexuality for people who might not be aware? Yeah. So um, there are so obviously there's not too much, um, you know, asexuality portrayals in the media. Yeah. Um, as we know, but for some of the ones that are there or at least implied, like for instance, a lot of people say like on the Big Bang Theory, like Sheldon is kind of coded as asexual. Um, but you get that kind of um, you know, then it becomes more like, oh, they're kind of socially weird and like robotic and like don't have the same like feelings as other people. Right. Unfunny. So that's like a common <laughs> <laughs> that's like a common, you know, um like thing that comes up and is like an unfortunate um, you know, aspect of like those being conflated because people kind of, you know, even just colloquially kind of, you know, I hear things like that a lot where it's like, oh, like you just don't like you don't have any feelings that it's kind of like mm. almost looking at, like a less than human kind of approach, um, you know, and like, I'll even just see stuff like that, like on social media, for instance, like that can definitely be a commonly held ideal. And in the research, people conflating it with, for instance, like schizoid personality traits, which is just um, mm. basically schizoid personality disorders, just people who are very like socially isolated, but like, you know, by their own choice, they shouldn't be like stigmatized for that, but just like a lack of social relationships, things like that. But people definitely with these kind of pathological labels to it is how they're looking at it, even though, you know, it's just someone like living their life and like their sexual orientation and they shouldn't be, you know, stigmatized for that. Um, definitely just other research that's been done on some of the stigma there with, um, you know, again, like looking at them as sort of, you know, like less than human because you're lacking these feelings. Um, so that mm-hmm. kind of comes up a lot which um, is obviously just a bigger, you know, obviously the entire LGBTQ community experiences different kinds of stigma and discrimination. And we can see how impactful that is um, because when you start looking at those groups like that and when people do in a less than human way, that obviously impacts people's rights and legislation and everything else. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's good to be able to get ahead of that and um, 
you know, put things out there that show that that's obviously not the case. Mm-hmm. Are vegans actually unhealthy? Does cannabis ruin your sleep? And why are so many men taking testosterone supplements? I'm Mitch. And I'm Greg. And we're the creators of the popular YouTube channel, ASAP Science. Every week on our podcast, Side Note by ASAP Science, we explain the science behind a controversial subject with recent research, up-to-date studies, and ridiculous stories so you are entertained while, bam, simultaneously learning. We're here to make science make sense. Download Side Note by ASAP Science wherever you get your podcasts. In terms, in terms of like the challenges that somebody who is asexual might experience in a in a relationship, I imagine because it's not the, it, because it's an atypical ex- experience that if you are an asexual person who's developing romantic feelings for a partner who is who is not asexual, um, then when it comes to that sort of point of of um, being sexually intimate with one another, I imagine that that could lead to conflict in in terms of like expectations in the relationship. Um, did you uncover or, or discover any like, like things around navigating that aspect of the relationship in a couple that is, has an atypical and, and typical, um, sexual experience? Yeah, I think, um, you know, across the board, just like with, um, you know, either just seeing like asexual related posts on social media for people's experiences, or even just in the research, um, you know, a lot of asexuals struggle with that um, because you might have to, um, you know, disclose your identity more early on, even if you're not ready, just to feel like, you know, I'm not I'm not leading somebody out or, you know, I want to be like really transparent about this. But of course, then that does present the risk of, mm-hmm. you know, then they might just like Flee. stop seeing me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that might end it all. So you kind of... Um, People get stuck. People talk a lot about that, like kind of in the balance of like, when do I bring this up or do I bring it up at all? Like, should it really matter that much? Um, you know, if you just want like this connection with someone and you're not sure like when to, um, you know, you don't want like that, your identity to ruin it all. But, mm. um, you know, unfortunately in some situations it kind of does. And then, um, you know, for some people, and then also just um, a lot of asexuals to, um have experienced, you know, like harassment for that domestic violence, um, mm. even up to experiences of like corrective rape of people who are like, you know, like trying to make them do this thing that they don't want to do. And mm. um, so that's, you know, those are things that I've definitely seen among the community and in the research. And so that's definitely like, um, <laughs> you know, the more extreme end that that can take. And then even just down to like, the simple microaggressions that kind of people hear a lot of like, mm. oh, you know, you'll find the right person someday. Maybe you just need to try harder and, mm-hmm. um, you know, like do this differently. And like if, implying that people should have to like compromise themselves when obviously you know, they shouldn't have to. So there's, um, you know, a wide range, I think, of that like stigma and, um, you know, how, how dangerous it can even get just yeah. with um, how people have those relationship experiences. Have you, is there, um, this is just making me think like, is there, is there a prevalence or, or like, have you heard of polyamory being, um, you know, like a big part of people with asexuality, like in their, their relationship dynamics to sort of, um, I mean, maybe this isn't like the right way to put it, but like to, to, to bring an ease of relationship with other people so that 
you know, the person who maybe isn't, um, isn't asexual, but has romantic feelings for the person who is. And then, you know, but that person can also have their sexuality needs or they're, they're, they're like their, their sexual intimacy needs met elsewhere. Like, is that something that's common in, in the community of asexuality? I don't have any like specific research to point to in the sense that, uh, you know, obviously everything among this group is a little under research, um, but just like from, you know, um, like kind of my opinion and then also just things that I kind of casually see, um, you know, definitely there's the level of negotiation kind of in the, um, you know, asexual relationships that people talk about, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and that could be one of those things because maybe some people, you know, like, like, hey, I'm with somebody who does need to have sex and like they can just go do that. And like, I don't need to be involved. And mm-hmm. yeah, I think that is definitely like a thing that happens as people do have their own ways of like negotiating those things out. And, you know, maybe some people don't think that's a big deal, Um, you know, to just have like, OK, like they just have like this thing that they need to do and they could do that separately for me as opposed to, um, you know, like then like me having to like be involved and be really distressed or something. So uh, I think there's definitely that level of like negotiation in asexual relationships and, you know, something that I think would be, um, you know, worth exploring more, hopefully, you know, in the future, future mm-hmm. research, um, just to get more, um, just to see how common that might actually be. Because um, for something like that, I don't really know, like the rates of how common something like that would be. Uh, but I would suspect it's definitely something that happens just for that, um, to have that kind of like open negotiation and everyone can get what they need. Mm, so that would also, I feel like call that would also kind of bring up some interesting questions around like, um, like emotional issues that can arise in a, in that sense. Like when you say, mm-hmm. when you, like when you, when you bring up that specific example, Jared and going, well, maybe polyamory isn't, maybe I am open to polyamory and then, and then maybe one person does not have a sexual attraction to the person that they're with and that person, and then the other person wants is, is going, okay, we've agreed upon getting that sexual attract that I'll get those sexual needs met somewhere else. Um, and have another relationship that's like specifically and, and, and specifically for those sexual needs. And then like what how maybe that, maybe that isn't the, the perfect scenario that they would want to be in, but, it's that compromise, like you mm-hmm. mentioned, Alexandra, about there's a lot of there can be a lot of negotiation and compromise in in in, in relationships. And then, like, how does jealousy work in that situation? Mm-hmm. Like, are you jealous of does does the person who does the, does the person who is uh, is asexual jealous of the person that's getting sexual needs met? Even though it's not an, even though sex like they 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 don't have a they don't have an interest in right. sex in in like the sexual nature of relationship yeah I, yeah I mean it's again not a lot of research done and and probably a lot of a lot of that would be a, like anecdotal or things that you see <clears throat> yeah but it would be really interesting to kind of like get some some like legitimate stats when it comes to that kind of thing um but I I like I'm I I feel like there's so coming back to the like the 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 um, research that you specifically had had uh, your hands in, which had to do with the investment model and and how that pertains to asexual uh, individuals, can you can you give us insight into what the what is the investment model for people who've never heard of that and how that relates to relationships in general? 
Yeah. So the investment model itself um, has been like studied time and time and again in psychology um, and our application of it to the um, actually sexual individuals is really the new part. But basically all it really means is um, it's looking at satisfaction uh, in relationships, which is pretty self-explanatory investments, like how invested you are in the relationship and then quality of alternatives. So like, uh, you know, like, are you seeing that, like, are you thinking that maybe other people like being with someone else would be better than this or being alone would be better than this mm-hmm. and how that all relates to your overall commitment? Um, so basically what we found um, pretty much consistent with all like the past research there, which is pretty cool, um, you know, saying at least in this way, um, you know, asexuals and relationships aren't really any different than anybody else. Um and so basically meaning that the more satisfied and invested they are and the less quality alternatives they have, the more committed they are, which, again, the research is found in like so many different groups of people. And, um, you know, just logically, I think we all know that that makes sense. Um, and so we found kind of the same thing here. So they're not really differing in the investment model way. Um, and so I think that's really you know, at least it, in just this one component uh, is very normalizing and, um, you know, not not showing that there's any, like, you know, major differences from an investment model standpoint in how asexuals experience their romantic relationships, um, which I think is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. It, it almost sounds to me a little bit like, and I'm, I'm curious, Alexandra, on your perspective on this, is is that I, I think... I, think before this conversation happened, uh, like I said already, I thought of asexual as a person who's not, has no sexual attraction to anybody. And I feel like the more I hear about your description of this experience, um, the more I see that, like, I think of like couples, like my parents got divorced when I was 15 and like, they were definitely not having sex for a long time <laughs> before they, before they eventually got divorced. And I imagine that, the experience of asexual asexuality is probably um, an experience that a lot of people can relate to in their relationships. Do you think that um, that's true? Like, is could this perhaps be a reason why, like, the investment model um, in terms of like the uh, a, a typical sexual experience um, compared to an asexual experience, it could be similar because you know, these people in these typical sexual relationships maybe actually experience some of what um, an asexual person might experience as well. If the, do you yeah, understand I what mean, I'm I, saying? I, I, yeah, I, 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 I get understand what Yeah, because <laughs> um, yeah, I think like the investment model components that I was talking about are very like, uh, which I mean, again, has just like been shown across like research. Um, in so many different groups, like they're just very like fundamental to all relationships. Like, mm-hmm. are you satisfied? Are you invested? Do you care? Are you like thinking that something else would be better than this? And so I think like that kind of experience cuts across like the sexual orientation thing, um, like you were saying. And like, obviously that's what we found too, is it's just like, if you are more like invested and happy, like you're going to be more committed to this person. Um, and you know, if, um, like if you're not or if you are like maybe like like i think a lot of people when they're you know breaking up on the verge of breaking up they're thinking like oh i'd rather be alone than deal with this or Mm -hmm. i would maybe rather date this other person here um and so obviously that commitment factor is going down so i think 
I think that can all of that really like cross cuts kind of all, you know, different types of romantic relationships. Mm -hmm. So I get what you mean with like, in terms of that experience as well. Mm -hmm. I think it also also speaks to, I think your question also, what you would kind of pose there, Brian, also speaks to the, 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 the thing that I think we see in, in, especially in pop culture is, is, is like the over, the over importance on sex and relationships um, in a lot of instances. I'm not saying that it's not important and I'm not saying that it's not a component, but like, you know, I, what, what I, I would probably fit pretty snugly into an atypical sexual relationship or sorry, a typical sexual, sexual relationship and romantic relationship. And, and, you know, over 12 years, like that, the, the, like the the amount the proportion of importance that sex takes up in that relationship is like it it fluctuates and changes over time, mm-hmm. and then you add a kid, and then if you add a child to that relationship, like that, and that like that 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 importance changes mm-hmm. over time, and other things start to start to grow in importance as other parts of a relationship might diminish, um, and I think that's like that's I think that's just like an interesting thing to look at in relationships is like how different aspects grow and increase and decrease in importance over time. Yeah. It's interesting because, um, and I think a lot of my questions around this come from like thinking about my parents' relationship. Um, I don't know what ultimately led to their divorce, but I know that after going through, um, the, the trauma of like, of separating, particularly for my mom, with like my brother and I and our other family members were like, you, you got to get back out and start dating. And my mom has forever, like this is almost 20 years ago now has forever been like, I'm not interested in any men. Like I don't want any of them in my life. And so like, like I wonder if, you know, she's not sexually interested in, in like having somebody to provide, you know, um, that for her or if she's like because of the relationship right the trauma from that relationship is she not interested in that which informs your and question from earlier about nature versus nurture totally yeah and, and and i and i imagine that that can also be like you know by the nurture by someone's experience that can probably influence it a lot but also um you know nature probably influ- influences a right. lot too which is right yeah could be i guess a bit of both when it comes to the research that you were doing specifically did 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 attachment theory come into any of that? I mean, that's something we've talked about attachment theory a couple of times on the show in the last little bit. And in talking about this, it's making me, it's just making me think about like attachment theory and, and does that play a role into the investment model when it comes to the research you did about asexuality? Yeah. So we did look at attachment orientation as well. Um, that was just a bit less clear cut in our results. Um, so that's something that, um, you know, future research on asexuality um, could continue to parse out um, just because we didn't really, it wasn't so clear cut as the investment model of like, oh, we found, um, you know, like results that are like very consistent with everything else. Uh, It was a little bit more complicated in terms of how like anxiety and avoidance play a role. Um, So that's something that could just, um, you know, um, I think it will just require like further study and, um, you know, more more people looking into that um, to really make a determination kind of, um, you know, where asexuality falls in that. Cause that was a little bit less, um, less clear cut than the investment model mm. portion. Is it, is that because it, or, <laughs> or, or do you think that that might be because when you are trying to, when you are trying to study something that carries a 
uh, well, a, a lack of a lack of research that underlies um, what you're looking at fundamentally, um, and and a, and in particular, like a stigmatized a stigmatized thing where people who fall under that umbrella or on that spectrum maybe just are just disproportionately carrying um, anxiety and things like that that are just too heavily influencing attachment styles to get clear to get to get clear results or 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 or, or is that just something that I, or, or is there or is there you know is the prevalence of things like anxiety and depression and the, you know the myriad of of mental illnesses that somebody could have is it equally as prevalent across the general population yeah um yeah i definitely think some of that could be uh you know some of those things should be more like parsed out with this group because yeah like you said there's not a lot of like underlying research to go off of um you know, at least to our knowledge this is the only study that's looked at this with a, a this specifically with the attachment and the investment model for asexual individuals um so you know obviously we're just kind of breaking ground in this area mm -hmm. as opposed to um you know having having a lot of knowledge here so i think some of that could be more um you know parsed out in the future with um you know some of the um some of the attachment styles and then also yes um you know thinking just more even about asexual mental health uh, which of course like a lot of the lgbtq community there are higher rates of you know mental health issues as one might expect just with the nature of you know obviously experiencing stigma and discrimination because of your identity um you know having anxiety towards that things of that nature so um yeah i definitely just think it's something that um you know hopefully future research will be able to um you know, go in on a bit more and we can get some more clarity there um, with how the attachment styles really come into play. Mm -hmm. What are you, what are you currently working on? Like what's, what's next for you? Are you still going down the road of, of uh, looking deeper into asexuality in ways that, you know, haven't been, haven't been touched in the past? We are. Yeah. So um, currently, um, so pretty much the same team still working with, um, my faculty members from MSU and um, some of his, um, some of my faculty members, current grad students. And so we are still going down the asexuality route um, with my, um, still my original data set from my senior thesis days that we're looking at um, and just going into some more stuff about um, the developmental course of asexuality, um, outness to other groups, um experiences of internalized acephobia um which is basically just like internalized homophobia i just kind of adopted that scale to <laughs> um change it to acephobia um and you know how that impacts people and so that's kind of where we're going next um we're in the process of you know editing and writing that paper and so hopefully you know fingers crossed i'll have another publication out this year <laughs> and Ooh. we'll see what happens but definitely something we're still working on. So do you, cool. do you have any examples for, you know, for anybody listening to this right now who maybe has like thought about perhaps like, oh, maybe, like maybe I'm asexual or, or maybe, maybe they've never thought that. And then they're listening to this and the fucking light bulb's gone off and they're like, holy shit, I think this might be me. Like, do you have any uh, examples of like really decent resources that exist, whether online or through books or, or, you know, film or whatever or podcasts that that like people could go to to kind of sink their teeth into this a little bit further and, and and find out more 
Yeah, so kind of the main asexuality resource um, is AVEN, which is the Asexuality Visibility and Education Network, um, is pretty much like the like gold standard website of like research forums, people post like studies that they're working on. Uh, that's kind of been a big website since the early 2000s. Um, that's why it's kind of like the original. Uh, I think a lot of people um, just find... Um, kind of in the LGBTQ community as a whole, but especially for asexuals, find a lot of just online social media communities. Like I know Tumblr has kind of been always mm. a big place. Um, you know, there's like Reddit threads dedicated to it of people who run specific like asexuality Instagram accounts just because um, for one, the asexual population tends to be kind of on the younger side. Um, you know, for, for whatever reason that is, that's usually kind of like the average age of the samples. Um, so I think there is a lot of like social media community and then also just, um, you know, that being like an easy way to find people um, as well, like just find anybody who, you know, might be similar to you. Because um, that's kind of how I went on my own journey. It was just like, just kind of like how you said people might be listening to this and discover something about themselves. That's how it was for me. I was just like scrolling Twitter and like saw this tweet about applied pride flag and I was like I don't know what that is let me look it up and I was like oh this is like talking about me like it all finally started to mm -hmm. make sense mm -hmm. so that experience I think is like really important I feel and then also just a lot of other good um you know a lot of general uh LGBTQ community pages like the Trevor Project P flag mm -hmm. um those often um you know have asexuality resources within them as well uh which could also be helpful too since um like I said, there's a lot of uh, convergence with different identities. So if you, uh, you know, held other queer identities and you wanted that kind of, um, you know, just to get some across the board, like things that cover multiple identities, I think those are a great resource. Um, I know some universities, for instance, Michigan State even had like an asexuality, like student organization. Uh, this is some of the like university support groups that are out there, um, I think are a great resource. Um yeah, and definitely just, uh, I think mo for the most part, it's on, um, yeah, it's very much the um, kind of social media, internet communities. Mm. Um, unfortunately, pop culture wise, like I said, there's not a lot yeah. of us. <laughs> but Bojack Horseman uh, actually has um, Todd, <laughs> which is um, kind of a good portrayal of asexuality out there. Um, Sex Education on Netflix brings it up a little bit, um, as mm -hmm. well as like just a lot of other LGBTQ identities. Um, so that's a really good show. Um, but there's not there's not too much of us yet, but uh, maybe someday there will be more. <laughs> but hey, those are just yeah. uh, a couple that I've seen. So <laughs> I was going to say, if you keep doing the work that you're doing, I'm sure that will, uh, you know, make its way into the zeitgeist and we'll see more representation on film and television. So mm -hmm. uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for like, A, the work that you do. Um, but B, also thanks for taking time at your schedule. I know it took us like months to make this happen. So I am really happy that we were able to find the time to sit and chat with you and pick your brain about asexuality um, because I know that this conversation with myself was like really eye-opening. So uh, on behalf of myself, the guys and all of the listeners, thank you so much, Alexander. This has been really sweet. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. I'm glad we got it figured out too. <laughs> and yeah, hopefully, like I said, hopefully I'll have a new paper uh, this year and, uh, you know, like, uh, everybody will be able to see that too and we'll add to everything that's out there. So yeah, we'll keep, we'll keep our eyes peeled. And uh, when it comes out, we'll be sure to let our listeners know. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That is All right. Thank you.
That is it for this week's edition of Routine Checkup. Thank you so much for tuning in, folks. It means the world to us. And if you'd like to continue listening to the podcast, you can do that right here on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And of course, if you want to support the podcast further, you can leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, or you can simply rate the podcast on your Spotify mobile app. And uh, even better than that, why don't you tell someone that you know, tell someone that you love, tell someone that you don't know, that you listen to Sick Boy Podcast and recommend it to them because we always love those extra ears. The podcast is produced and hosted by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Brian Stever, and Taylor McGilvery. The podcast is managed by Jeffrey Lonis at Talent Bureau. The theme music for today's episode comes from Rich O'Coin. Thanks again, folks. Hope you enjoyed it, and we'll be back next week. That's it for now. My name is Jeremy, and this is Sick For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.